Our passage tonight comes from Luke 22, verses 7 through 23. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for the good music, Jared, and for this wonderful choir. I wish I'd been sitting on the other side. I'm trying to get more and more like Chris. I got me one of these to bring up here for my notes right there, like he does. I've also, can you see my name tag? Chris Montgomery. So I'm trying to get more and more like him. And sitting at the table tonight eating, one person looked at it and said, hey, if you want to get higher than Chris, you ought to get your name tag with Emily on it. Said she's a whole lot better. <laughs> said they all went to Cuba together and said she's a lot smarter and a lot brighter in every way. So I'm going to get your name tag next time. I want to go with that. Uh, Chris asked me some time ago, two or three months ago, about this passage. And he said, you do this passage and it's on the Last Supper. I said, now, Chris, when you're 85 years old, you ain't going to talk about the Last Supper. Let's call it the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or less Holy Communion or something. So I'm not going to call it. This, this is the Lord's Supper. Now, I, you have your Bible. If you'll keep it open, I'm going to give you several passages of Scripture tonight that you can look and read. And I'm going to cover some of them just very briefly. But I'd like to walk through this passage of Scripture in the 22nd chapter of Luke. And it is such a high, high moment in the life of the church when we come together to celebrate the Lord's death, His resurrection, and His coming again. And we'll have a chance to do that tonight. But here is the context of what Jesus taught and Luke recorded about the Lord's Supper. Now it begins saying, then came the day of unleavened bread. Most translations say the festival of unleavened bread. Actually, this started the day 
after Pentecost, but whenever sacrificial lambs were slain, they would sometimes count the unleavened bread beginning at that time. It was the Passover, of which a Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal. Now notice he said, go and prepare. Jesus had already prepared it. One thing you always can mark down about Jesus is that he was always prepared. He was never caught short. He never came to a point where he said, oh, I didn't see that coming. There were no surprises to him. It says that go and prepare, and that was just part of the nature of who Jesus was. Now prepare the Passover meal for us that we may eat it. Now, the Passover meal really at this point begins to take on a new meaning in the history of the church. Before the Passover meal is what was celebrated in the Old Testament. And it was the passing over and it looked back to remember. Now what Jesus is teaching them about Holy Communion, the Passover meal, is not just to look back, but also to look forward to see what God is still doing in Jesus Christ and what he will do. So they said to him, where would you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water. That's real interesting that he said a man. He prepared it with a man. Who always carried the water back in those days? The women. They were the ones that carried the water and so what he's saying is that I want to show you how unique this preparation is and you won't have any trouble figuring out who it is. It is a man carrying the jug of water and you'll see him. It's almost like saying, now I want you to look for this certain man who's wearing a shirt. I mean, he was identified. Jesus had prepared meticulously everything about this Lord's Supper. He said, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. Now, a normal house that Jesus would have been talking about is a house that's sort of like a box with a smaller box sitting on top of it. Two stories. There was usually an outside stairway to get up to the second box or the second room, or as you'll see in a moment, Jesus called it the upper room. It's the room on top of the bottom room. And oftentimes these rooms were used by rabbis when they would bring together their people and said, let's have a meeting. I want to teach you. And they would use an upper room. Or it was almost like a leader with his staff. Uh, Chris will take the staff and teach them. And they had a marvelous retreat just a couple of weeks ago. The upper room was a place where that you went so that teaching took place. So he calls them the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Now that's the upper room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Now notice the meticulous detail that is given that Jesus had prepared everything. He left nothing to chance. If there's one thing we know about Jesus was that he came with a divine purpose and that purpose was to follow through in everything that he did. And he said it will be furnished. Now, get ready. 
prepare it there. So they went out and found it just as he had told them. Now that's an interesting phrase. Just as he had told them. It was like they were a little surprised. They were just wondering, that, that's what Jesus said and it was exactly right. Can I affirm to you that when Jesus says something, it's exactly right. It's the truth, the whole truth, and not just part of the truth. We live in a day and age where there's so many half-truths or partial truths. And now with technology that you can Photoshop pictures and with artificial intelligence, you can make things look like what they're not. I've become sort of a big fan of Dion Sanders, primetime, a strong Christian, now at Colorado. I like him because I'd read his Instagram, it's entitled Jesus, and he says in that, sex won't satisfy, money won't satisfy, success won't satisfy, nothing will satisfy except Jesus. And that's become sort of his mantra at, uh, at Colorado. There was a picture that appeared on social media about uh, 10 days ago. It showed him talking to two of his players. And the caption was that Dion kicks them off the team because they knelt during the national anthem rather than standing. And it had over a thousand views quickly until it was taken down. Because you see, it wasn't the truth. The picture had actually been made about 10 years ago when he was at Jackson State. And he wasn't kicking anybody off the team. He was praising them for the kind of stance that they were taking and also for what they were doing. It was a total half-truth. Now, in society today, in politics, in the news, in everything that we face, it's so hard to determine. Now, is that really the case? I mean, right now, over in Israel, in Gaza, uh, by the way, I write a blog every week. And this morning I published a blog on the Hamas-Israeli war. I've never received as much response as I have to anything. And I just tried to share my heart, some observations about what is happening. You can go to my website and you can get it. Uh, my website's hard to remember. It's johnedmatheson.org. Now that's both to help me remember the website and also to remember my name when I can't remember it. So, you see, who bombed the hospital? Both sides are blaming each other. Both sides are trying to produce evidence that it was them. It's hard in this day and age to know what truth is. Jesus, hey, just as he had told them, whatever he tells you, then you can take it 100%. And they prepared the Passover. Now let me tell you what it meant about the Passover. Uh, that meant that there was going to be a new covenant. The old covenant had been made with Israel. Now there was to be a new covenant. Let me give you two or three passages of Scripture. Write these down and I'm going to share them with you just real briefly. I think they'll appear on the screen if you will look. Uh, the old covenant, you see it in Exodus 24. And I'm just going to put up here the first four verses and verses 7 and 8. Exodus 24. Now this is the old covenant under which people were always operating. God said to Moses, 
come up to the Lord. You and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders. But you all stay afar off and worship there. Moses went by himself, came near to the Lord, but the other elders shall not come near, and the people will not go up with them. So the first covenant wasn't made with a group of people present, wasn't made just with the leaders present. It was made with the leader, Moses. Now here's the covenant. Now, now this is what everybody abided by. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, let me say a word about a covenant. A covenant that you make with somebody is when you agreed to do something and they also agree to do it. The problem with the first covenant is that God agreed to do something and the people agreed to do something, but they didn't do it. Moses wrote down, beginning, what is that, verse 4? Wrote down all the words of the Lord. He got up early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it so that all the people could hear it. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Now let me ask you, were they obedient? Did they follow up with their bargain? Moses then took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Let me tell you how a covenant worked in that day. If you and I are going to make a covenant or make a contract with each other, there were three ways to do it. One way is that we can swap sandals. You give me your sandals, I give you my sandals, and that means that we have said, yes, I will abide by whatever agreement we have made. It would be also like us signing a note for money or for, for some commodity. Or you could pay with a bag of salt. And if you swapped bags of salt, that meant we both will do it. But, get this, if it was a really, really, really important covenant, you didn't use sandals or salt, you used the blood of an animal. That's why the animal was sacrificed and the blood was thrown on the altar and that's why subsequently the people of Israel would always offer a sacrifice of blood because the blood signified, hey, this is the most important covenant and we want to stick by it. So that's the old covenant. Now, let me just give you Jeremiah 31, 31. You can read the following verses, but I didn't print them because the same verses appear in Hebrews. Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, back in the day of Jeremiah, you got a covenant. It's the old covenant. But now I want to tell you, I'm going to make a new covenant with all the people of Israel. And then in Hebrews 8, 8 through 10 and 13, this is a portion of that. Uh, this is, again, the new covenant. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. You see what he's saying is, now I've made this old covenant. I took them by the hand. I led them out of Israel. I did what I was to do. But they didn't. They did not continue in my covenant. So I showed no concern for them. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws up to their minds, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In speaking of a new covenant, get this, he makes the first covenant obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So let me tell you, we're here tonight to celebrate a new covenant. Maybe you've never thought about Holy Communion in that way. But it is a new covenant that he's sharing with his disciples. The old covenant, the people of Israel didn't obey. He said, now I want to give you another chance. Here is a new covenant and I'm going to offer it to you. All right, let's go back to the original scripture there. Verse 14. He said, and when the hour had come, now remember they were in the upper room. They were the feast of the, of the unleavened bread, the Passover meal. And when the hour came, now what would that mean? The Passover meal was always eaten after sunset. So when the hour came following sunset, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And remember what I told you about the new covenant? The new covenant looks back. It looks back to what God has done. But he said, I'm going to tell you, I'm now going to look forward to what life is going to be like in the future if you're obedient and if you are fulfilling this covenant that we're making. And he says, he took a cup. Now it's interesting he took a cup. Let me define for you what a sacrament is. A sacrament is something that is a simple object that has immensely more meaning than you first see on the surface. He just took a cup, a common cup. But it became a sacrament because it would bear the Holy Communion, the blood of Christ, and a simple cup becomes extremely important. Not just a little thing, but a big thing. What else did he take besides the cup of wine? What was the other? Bread. Common bread. And he took the bread, something simple. Now, just think about Jesus for a minute. He always took simple things to teach important truths. We call them parables. I love them because I can understand them. And he takes something simple. Do you see this? And then he draws from it <coughs> great spiritual truths about the future. Now this new covenant, he takes a cup and he takes bread and he uses those elements to become what we know as the Eucharist or Holy Communion. So he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. 
For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now let me say just a word about the elements there. The blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Now in church history there have been two different ways to interpret that. The Roman Catholics see the blood and bread and it's a long term called transubstantiation meaning that literally it becomes the body and blood of Christ. You were given one of these. In the Roman Catholic Church this the prayer literally makes this the body and blood of Christ. Now we Protestants and Martin Luther profoundly protested against that. He said it's not that night he Luther said Jesus didn't tell them to eat his own flesh. He gave them bread. So the bread becomes symbolic of what you're being offered. It's not literally the body of Christ. Uh, let me tell you what happened way back when the Protestant Reformation started. Uh, Holy Communion became a problem because in the Roman Catholic Church, they believed it was literally the blood of Christ. And if you had a beard and took it, you might get a drop left on your beard. And then if it fell on the ground, you had to have a special service to deal with that because that was literally the blood of Christ. So therefore, they got started where they said, look, if you got a beard, you can't take it because look the problem you cause. And then that went to other things, even translating the scripture. That's when Martin Luther began to say, look, the blood of Christ, that is a symbol, the wine or the grape juice, which we use, is a symbol of the blood of Christ. We believe in consubstantiation. We believe that it is just symbolic and the bread is symbolic of the body of Christ. But let me tell you, don't, don't underestimate that. It's extremely, extremely important. So I tell you from now on, from the fruit of the vine till the kingdom comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. And notice this, do this in remembrance of me. Why do we do this? To remember Christ. You know, we have things that we keep that we have want to help us remember. If you're married, you probably have on a wedding ring. You buy them at a store. It's not what it is in itself, but it's what it represents. What, what does it do? It remembers the covenant that you made with your husband or your wife. You've probably got other things that you remember things by. Very, very special. I was with a long time distant cousin recently and uh, his sister had died and uh, he said I've got a very very precious heart she was very very good with uh, doing granite and those kind of things and had made a couple of hearts and he said Johnny Ed, I'm gonna give you one and it'll help you remember my sister she said I keep it and it's one of my most prized possessions and I've got it right now, right in the bedroom. When I, every night when I take things out of my pocket, there's that heart. You know what it does? It reminds me 
you remember and sometimes remembering is hard I was reading this morning where Peter said look I'm gonna stir up your memory now stir up means boy you got to stir it to get it and mine needs a lot of stirring a lot of times memory is sometimes tough this is to be a memory a reminder to us and that cup is poured out for you and it is look at this phrase the new covenant in my blood now that's what Jesus taught us in the 22nd chapter of Luke my body my blood a new covenant and it's a covenant that I want you to keep we're going to come in a moment and we're going to receive this but before we do can, can I give you just one word of warning it's a passage of scripture that you need to write down and just look at and read it's 1st Corinthians 11 1st Corinthians 11 20 through 29 the reason is that the early church didn't really observe and revere the remembrance of what they were doing. They drank too much and got drunk. They, they didn't celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. They celebrated having a good time. So Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said these words, begin with 23. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you. And the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, the cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. But then these words, the 27th verse. Boy, these are tough. He said, but whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. But anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Friends, this isn't just a casual not just a nice, sweet little ceremony. This is serious because it's about the one who died and we take the juice and we take the bread and remember now, you can use any kind of elements. I in, got in trouble one time real bad on television. I would always offer communion to the television audience now tell them get some kind of liquid and some kind of bread uh, preacher down in Luverne went to visit an old man in his church and said I know you don't get to church can I bring you communion he said don't need for you to I do it with John Ed he said what do you mean so well, I watch him on TV and when he gets to the end he comes and uh, and I just go in there and I get me an RC and a moon pie <laughs> And I take it with John Ed. Can I say to you that it doesn't matter whether you have an RC and a moon pie or a little plastic cup and a wafer. It's not literally the blood and body of Christ. It reminds us. So I want us to take this in just a moment. Would you 
peel that top part off and you'll find there a small wafer. And that wafer represents the body of Christ. I'm going to invite you to a moment where we examine ourselves and sure that we've come and we want to do this. Oh God, hear our confession. And we know that your word says, if we confess, you will forgive. Thank you. And we take this wafer remembering you. And then, would you take the juice, uncover it. This represents the blood of Christ. You remember the old covenant, the new covenant always dealt with the blood. And it's a serious covenant when we take the blood. I invite you now to receive the body, the blood of Christ. And oh God, I thank you for your gracious invitation. Thank you for this teaching. And Luke recorded it. And oh God, thank you for the privilege, I mean privilege, of receiving the elements. And may everything that this service does help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. We see Him in the past, we see Him in the present, and we see Him in the future. And hear our words as we sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.